It's a crazy world out there, and this is the place to help you figure out how to live in it. Welcome to the Masculinist Podcast, the show about how we live as Christian men and as the church in today's radically new and challenging world. I'm your host, Aaron Wren. Thank you for listening. Please visit our website and sign up for our newsletter today at themasculinist.org. You can also support the work of The Masculinist on Patreon at patreon.com slash masculinist, on Gumroad at gumroad.com slash masculinist, or on PayPal at paypal.me slash masculinist. And now for today's show. Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. I know last week I said that was probably going to be my last episode in the Urban World Urban Church series, but I changed my mind. I'm going to do a couple more at least, uh, and then we'll see uh, where we go. Um, I, I'm going to talk about something today that's not necessarily related to the Urban Church. I'm going to label it uh, Urban Church uh, because I do think it manifests there in, in some particular ways. But it's something that has affected uh, the church as a whole, in the West at least, for quite some time. And that is uh, what I call urban Christian Buddhism, or just Christian Buddhism. There is a Catholic neo-reactionary writer who goes by the name of the social pathologist, who, he's definitely a reactionary, okay, so keep that in mind, uh, but he writes some just really interesting, thoughtful uh, pieces questioning kind of what has gone wrong in Western Christianity. So if you if you ask where things went wrong, uh, he's not going to say any time in modern times. In fact, what he would sort of argue is that the transition to modernity sort of exposed things that were latent in Christianity, but were sort of covered up by an agrarian society. There's a lot of stuff on his site. You can read it. But he did a four-part series on Christian Buddhism. And I will drop a link to it in the show notes. And I've sent this to some people. I think it doesn't resonate with them because it's a little subtle. And it's something that's hard to wrap your head around. And um, I think from the standpoint of what I'm going to talk today, which, which I'm going to just drill in on a few things, the real essence of... Uh, of Christian Buddhism is essentially, you know, the emptying of oneself of desires. And we can think of a Buddha uh, in Buddhism, your, your, your goal is to purge yourself of your personality, of your desires, and to merge, sort of uh, become oneness with the universe or something like that. And there are some things that, like, elements of that, that sort of have an echo in contemporary Christianity. And so I'm going to read just a quote from a social pathologist on this. He writes, What has emerged in the 20th century is something akin to a Christian type of Buddhism, which sees the fulfillment of man's desires precisely in the negation of self. Suffering is glorified while righteousness is given lip service, mercy at the expense of justice, the redistribution of wealth instead of the creation of it. Prayer is glorified to fight evil while actual action to fight it is condemned. Indeed, it would appear that righteous self-assertion has become foreign to the modern Christian ideal. The ideal Christian would appear to be a punching bag who gets comfort through his prayers to God and which in turn strengthens, which who in turn strengthens him to continue getting a beating. And I'll give you an example of some of the context of what he's talking about here in a minute. 
He also writes, The essential idea of Christian Buddhism is union with Christ through the negation of self. And as Chesterton rightly recognized, this notion manifests itself in the obliteration of individual differentiation and personality. There is no such thing as legitimate self-assertion in this schema as any assertion of the self is seen as an impediment towards holiness. Now, what's an example of what he's talking about? How might we come up with an example of this sort of self-denial, obliteration of self? And he points to a prayer called the Litany of Humility uh, that Rod Dreher uh, posted something about on his blog. I'll try to dredge up the Dreher link and, and put it to you. And I think it was someone who had written it, uh, maybe the communist people had, had, it was written in the 19th century, but sort of the communists who were suffering were praying this prayer called the Litany of Humility. And um, he'll, he'll actually quote a part of it, but I'll put a link to the complete prayer and uh, thing in the show notes. He writes, while the prayer's intention is for humility, its actual content borders quite literally on the masochistic. As I see it, not only does the prayer invoke God to rid ourselves of our vices, but it also seems to ask God to rid us of our virtues as well. This bit from the version over at Dreer's blog really struck me. Uh, and this is what he's, quoted from the, he's quoting from the prayer here. Free me from the desire that people close to me and whom I love may not be humiliated, that they may suffer less than others, or that they may give in priorities over others. Deliver me, Jesus. So he's praying to be delivered from the desire that his family or people close to him not suffer less than others. And the social pathologist goes on to say, I'm no theological rocket scientist, but there is some seriously disturbing theology here. I mean, what kind of vice is it to want the best for your loved ones? Or what kind of virtue is it to not wish good to them? If you break this down a bit more, what the practitioner is pay, petitioner is praying for is the obliteration of any goodwill or sense of justice towards his loved ones in an effort to improve their own holiness. I've just pulled one line out from the prayer, but the rest of it is in the same vein. The prayer's concept of humility and therefore holiness is seen as being achieved when man rids himself of all the desires a normal man would have. And what, uh, you know, social pathologist is a Catholic, and uh, I have seen this in a Protestant context, which is why this really, really resonated with me when I read it. Many years ago, when I was really into Mark Driscoll and was watching Mark Driscoll's sermons, they had something in one of their Sunday mornings, like it was some special event at, um, maybe a fundraising event at Mars Hill, and they played a video from a woman whose child had died and that I think child had maybe died of cancer, but she had she had a child that died of some medical problem. And she talked about how devastated she was when her child died and how she was so angry that she was not going to see her child grow up and get to experience her adulthood. And then she said, it just, it just really struck me, she says, then I had to repent. I had to tell Jesus I was sorry for feeling that way because he had chosen to call her home at that time, and Jesus would never have withheld what was best for me. And so I realized I really needed to repent of my desires to have seen my kid grow grow older. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's almost literally what she said. And I'm like, this is insane, right? Your kid just dies 
And you're supposed to repent over being devastated by this news. And I just think, I cannot imagine any universe in which God wants you to treat the death of your child as if it were like supposed to be some blessing or a great thing for you that was bestowed upon you. I mean, the Bible says he works all things together for the good uh, for those who are in Christ, but it doesn't say that all things that happen to us are good. And that's an example of what I call Christian Buddhism. I'm upset. I'm upset about this devastating thing that has happened to me. And that upsetness is an indication of some deficiency in my faith. And we see this a lot in desires and in the urban church world in the way that they essentially treat as idolatry any desire that you have, which if you don't get it, will upset you. So if you want something very badly and you don't get it and you're very upset about it, then that is sort of evidence that you have made an idol out of that thing that you're devastated with um, when you do it. And so there, there's sort of an, uh, this idea that you need to be purging yourself of desires, moderating your desires so that uh, you are not, you know, you are not upset when bad things happen. And I think one of the clear examples we see of this uh, is this idea of the idolatry of the family. So if you go into these urban church situations, uh, you will often see that there are a lot of single people and some, especially single women, who are now getting to an age where maybe they're not going to have children. Uh, they're looking at the real prospect that they may have wished their window to have children are very, very, very upset at that. And so they're legit. I think to me, guess what? That is a legitimate thing. You know, a, a woman who has a desire to have children, it's a great thing. Uh, it, it's its a powerful, innate desire. I mean, I, I felt that as a man, I imagine how it feels as, as a woman to do that. And then you don't have kids, something that you wanted so desperately. The idea that, 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 that that's not something to be upset about is crazy. You should be upset about that because in a sense, the natural pattern of human life has been interrupted in a sort of tragic way for you personally. Now, again, there may be women who didn't want kids. I'm not talking about people that didn't want kids. I'm talking about the people who said themselves, I so wanted to have kids, and now I'm grieving over the fact that that's not going to happen. And, you know, you can pull some some writings online from, from some of these Christian women kind of pouring their heart out about, about that. And then what is the church's response to this? The church's response to this is basically don't make an idol out of the family, right? It's taking a natural thing that is something that I think should cause people to mourn and grieve and be upset about and treating it as if it is a sin to be that way. And I can't help but notice how self-serving this ends up being to some of these people, particularly in the urban church. So these urban cities, right, are are sort of wastelands for dating, right? There's a reason why, for example, that New York City uh, uh, is, is like there's been so many TV shows like Sex in the City and Girls about people struggling to, to succeed in relationships there. And you bring people into the city, you talk about the importance of the city, you're very celebratory about the city, 
you're running a church that's 75% singles, and then a significant number of your congregation misses the runway to have kids, and now they're upset about it. So what do you say? You say, well, um, we don't make, you know, maybe you have the gift of singleness. Um, Maybe you can honor God. Here's how you can honor God in your singleness. Don't make an idol out of the family. In essence, certainly don't ask, hey, wait a minute, what's this church been teaching? How did May, what role their teaching play and how I ended up where I am? Of course, I don't suggest blaming other people for your problems. Um, you know, I think we all have to start asking ourselves, like, what what did I do to contribute to my own situation? So I think some self-examination uh, should be in order. They actually never tell you to do that either. Uh, but I do think there's some legitimate questions about what's going on um, in some of these churches that they have such enormously high percentages of singles persistently over time and seem to be characterized um, and some levels by, you know, numbers of women with without kids, single, who want them. I mean, I'm not talking about people who say, I don't care if I get married. I don't care if I have kids. We're talking about people who they themselves say that they want it. You see the same thing in um, when it comes to career failure, which, again, heavily overlaps with the city. Tim Keller, uh, he's got this line that he's tweeted many times, um, something that goes something along the lines of, God can call you to a profession and not call you to success in that profession. And that is a 100% true statement, right? It's a 100% true statement. Uh, it's definitely possible that success as we understand it is not what God had in mind for us. So I look at this kind of thing that I've launched with the Basculance, with the podcast, you know, obviously I want it to grow. I, I have aspirations for I want it to, to succeed. That may not happen, right? And I think that doesn't mean it was actually a total failure. I, I already see, like, I got, like, emails from people telling me about how this has transformed their life. I'm like, it's kind of like, it's 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 humbling. And um, it, it shows me the weight of responsibility that comes with talking about these topics. But it's certainly possible that, you know, what we would think of as success in an early, in an earthly manifestation and success in a, uh, you know, what what God wants for us, you know, that those things may not, they, they may not be linked. And yet, nevertheless, I see in this as sort of this idea that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be as upset um when you you wanted to make it on Broadway, right? And you came to the city and you took your shot at Broadway. You took your shot at getting, you know, a, being a writer. You took your shot at uh, making it in financing and you failed. And you failed. And now maybe you're upset about that, right? You're upset about that. And the idea is, well, you know, maybe that's just got what God wanted and maybe you shouldn't be so upset about that, I think. There's sort of the, it's sort of that feel to it. And so again, they're, they're in these urban churches there's a lot of career frustrations, a lot of aspirations that have been crushed for people who really wanted to achieve certain things, uh, but but didn't. And how do you cushion the blow, right? Well, one thing you sort of do is 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 kind of act like, hey, you know, if it doesn't happen, then you you know maybe if you're too upset about it, that's that's an idol that that you're going against God's will and what God has for your life. I mean, I've heard sermon illustrations like, you know, there was this kid and he studied hard. His dream was to go to Stanford and he worked so hard and he did all this stuff. And um, 
ultimately he he opened up the envelope and he was not admitted to Stanford. He was just devastated and he had put all his hopes on that. And again, I think the idea of putting all your hopes on getting into a particular college, um, uh, you know, definitely you could could make it a form of idolatry, uh, you know, a form of you know, self-justification or whatever. But I think this idea of like, you know, man, I wanted to get into Stanford and I didn't get in. Like college, I mean, getting into college, into a good college is one of the most primal things that happens in a young person's life. You should be upset if you studied super, super, super hard and you worked your butt off and the thing that you wanted, you did not achieve. The fact that you're upset by that is not like a definitional uh, you know, making you by definition an idolater or or a sinner who just doesn't trust in God's providence or whatever. And that's why I say this is Christian Buddhism, because it basically says your source of pain in your life is your desires. If you didn't desire all these things, if you didn't desire to have children, if you didn't desire to succeed on Broadway, if you didn't desire to get into Stanford, then you would not be suffering the way that you're suffering. And if you are suffering too much, then you are, you know, almost by definition becoming an idolater. And again, I think there's a, you know, candidly self-serving element to some of that. And again, I'm not saying that these guys like directly think that, but they are essentially attempting to respond to their congregations who are suffering a lot of aspirational loss, as many of them are trying to succeed at very elite professions, very elite field where there's just going to be so many people get in, right? I wanted to be an actor. It's very, very hard to make it acting. In fact, nobody, you know, maybe only like a handful of people ever quote unquote make it. Um, and, and so I, I think it's just an example of what you see in the way that people talk about desires. And I think this idea of talking about idolatry all the time, making an idol of this, making an idol of that, um, I'm not sure that that's quite necessarily in line with the teachings because I think there's this element of we have a society that's causing people a lot of harms and the fact that people are upset by those harms is not necessarily a a a, a bad thing um, or an ungodly thing. And again, I, I, do, I do think there's, you know, it's not literal Buddhism, right? There's sort of an echo of Buddhism. And again, it's not that it's, literally the case that you cannot make an idol out of the family. It's just like in practice, right? What is the feel of this? What is the feel of this? So if you're looking for some kind of deeper uh, things uh, on this kind of Christian Buddhism front, read the stuff I'm going to put in about social pathologist. Um, he really relies on on Chesterton for this. He's like a big Chesterton fan, and I know a lot of you are as well. But I think this is just something to keep your eyes on. Are these guys treating desire uh, as a sort of intrinsically bad thing? Are they asking you to essentially deny the reality of the loss that you suffered, right? I, I think there, I think there's something to this idea that we've, um, you, you know, we've sort of gotten off the rails a little bit. Again, I don't think this is specific to the urban church. I think it's something that is uh, both Catholic, Protestant, etc., that there's definitely something to this idea of essentially obliteration of the self, you know, becoming more Christ-like, meaning becoming less you-like, when I think that's not what, what Scripture uh, has to say. God is perfecting and, and creating new what he created us to be. He's not just creating a, a cheap and inferior clone uh, of what Jesus was here. 
Uh, But regardless, I'll let you think about that, ponder that, and we'll be back next week.